So it's the middle of October 2021 and we're already gearing up for NFBC 2022. What I thought I'd do this uh, off season from I guess mid-October till March or whatever is um, going to go quality over quantity. Not Probably not going to have a ton of podcasts this off season, but I want to grab 10 to 15 of the most consistent and um, best performing high stakes players across the NFBC in 2021 and even before that. Um, just consistent good players that that um, I want to dive into their teams and do an in-depth analysis uh, on their teams and talk to them about that. If they don't want to come on to talk to me, then I just might look at their teams myself and talk to someone else about them. So uh, tonight we had the guilds on. The guilds and I we go back on Twitter, but it was great to talk to him. He is, like I said, uh, I complimented to I complimented him to his face. So I figured this would be a great, great one to start off with because he probably had one of the best seasons, not only this year but in recent years in in the NFBC. Just so consistent, and he just crushed it. So very thankful that he um, was able to come on, and um, hoping to do a lot of these types of interviews. Um, throughout uh, the next couple of months leading into draft season to help myself and anyone that wants to listen. So enjoy. Oh, and P.S. I'm a terrible podcast host, as you all know, but I forgot to ask the guilds where you can find him on Twitter and you can find him at his handle, the underscore guilds, G-I-L-D-Z. So yeah, look him up, follow him. He's underfollowed for sure. And, um, like he says, he's an acquired taste. So if you like acquired tastes, give him a follow. Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast 2022 edition. I'm here with a good friend of mine. We go back a couple years on Twitter. It's the Guilds. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good. No, thanks for coming on. Um, so Guilds, uh, Andrew Geller. Um, is your real name. Um, you had a phenomenal year, finishing with multiple main event wins. You, you swept every OC you entered um, with, tough, with, some tough, with some tough competition, and you placed in the top 10 overall in both national contests. Like, undeniably impressive, as much as I hate to admit. Um, playing, playing a lot of these contests, you get to know the usual suspects a bit better. Uh, and to be frank, I thought you were just one of those guys on Twitter talking trash at first, but don't get me wrong. I love I tracking talking trash too, as you know. Uh, but I soon realized you're one of the, t- uh, the toughest and best players basically out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're getting the respect you deserve now. I don't know if you did before, but um, at least for me. Um, so tell me a bit, like, we'll talk, how, how long have you been playing? Like, wh- when did you get started? How did you get into the shit? Yeah, so first off, the, the whole Twitter thing, man, that, it's mostly all shtick. Uh, <laughs> you know, I talk a lot of game with a, with a lot of people and stuff. You know, I'll never turn anyone away when they message me and stuff. So, I mean, a lot of it is just, Kind of staying on brand with the whole uh, Twitter thing, but yeah, no, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I uh, I did the home leagues. I was doing points leagues for a while, kind of probably similar to most people. Um, you know, buddies of mine did pretty well there for years, and then uh, I remember finding the uh, NSBC. It was around I think 2014 was my first year, and I never played Roto before, so. You know, I'm not one of these old school guys, really, but I'm not one of these guys that just gotten into it. So I don't know. I've been around, yeah, since 2014. 
I had one team I put in the uh, the online championship, and I was like, wow! Immediately, I was just hooked because you know we go from a points league to Roto, you know, just different animals completely. So I was just uh, right away I was hooked on it. I'm like, oh wow, this this is something I could get into, and it kind of just started from there. I, I did one team the first year. Uh, I think it's three, the next, and then it kind of just progressed from there and just kind of been rolling from one year into the next. And yeah, no, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's an addiction. I know. I know all about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Uh, yeah. I think just the whole, just the whole like puzzle piece of a roto team and putting it all together is just, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's definitely a skill that you have to gain over time, but it's, to me, it's just a lot of fun managing every aspect, all those categories, and just, you know, uh, it's just a lot of work, but it's, it's a lot of fun at the same time. No, for sure. No, I think, I think we're going to get into that. Um, and I, I was talking to you before we started recording, and I said, this year, this podcast, and I don't know, like, what, what do I want to get out of this podcast? I want to talk to the best players in the high stakes world, and, and you're one of them, and I want to get, like, probably 20, 10, to, 10 to 12 people on between now and, and March, and just look at some of the teams players that, that, that do quite a few teams and have consistent success. So like, and like you said, you alluded to the puzzle, we'll get into the puzzle and um, that's what we're going to try and piece together. Um, and um, if anyone's listening, I don't know if you can hear my kids crying upstairs. My wife's probably looking after that, hopefully. So hopefully it's not going to distract too much. Uh, I'll mute myself as much as I can um, when you're talking, but um, I got to ask you first question. I got to ask you like last year, you know, there's like a free look in the um the first i think it's the first i think weekend or day um and i think we we were talking on twitter and i said like you gotta like bump up the value of garrett cole because he's got a free look and if he tanks you can just sit him and you said you said i was wrong you remember that i do yeah um i do remember yeah vaguely but i forget what my reasoning was behind (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry that's, that's a good memory. I do remember saying that because I think what, what I was saying was, why would you invest? If, if you already know you're getting one bomb of a start, would you really want, I guess, and your, your point, I think, was, well, you could choose to still sit them, right? And you're still getting all the, the remaining starts that, you, that you, you'll you put them in for, right? Yeah. I think that was your, yeah. Yeah, it's like you just have, uh, it's, it's one added thing. You can you can sit someone for a, for a blow up. Whereas you can, you probably wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be sitting any of your studs ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, I'm a Mets fan too. So I, when I draft an ace that early, I don't want to concede the start off the bat. That's kind of my thinking. Like if I had, if I draft Jake DeGrom, as crazy as it sounds, I want, it wasn't even that crazy with him this year. You want every start to be amazing. Right. So I just thought, you know, why, I don't want to concede the start off the bat, even though they're going to, you know, have 30, 32 of these and uh, you could just bench it and, and it won't hurt your ratios at all. It, part of me is just like, I don't want to concede anything <laughs> from any of my first round picks. Basically that, that was my thinking. I hear you. I hear you. So um, we we're just talking about football. We play, you play a lot of football leagues. You play a lot of baseball leagues. I think you probably play more football than baseball in terms of volume. Yes. Yes a lot more uh, this just the sheer effort that, that goes into baseball so I, I did uh for fab leagues i did four ocs and three mains so that was seven total and that was that's like my max there's no way i, I could have done 
done more with that. You know, I'm married, two kids, two small kids. And on top of football, drafting football teams all summer long. I mean, it's just, and a full-time job. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just too much. I'm in the same boat as you. I, I was in, like, my, my fab leagues for baseball, I think like 13 fab leagues, but I was in a lot of, like, the DCs, and I got to cut I got to cut down next year. I'm the same boat as you, full-time job, two kids, wife, for now. She, I'm probably going <laughs> to I think I'm waking up my kid and trying so I'm in shit later. So, you yeah, know, it's all... It's all good though. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about some of these teams because I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm obviously, I know you were in, I think four OCs and, and, um, and three mains and you, and you won two of, I think two of your mains and you won all your OCs. Let's, let's get into the OCs here um, right away. Um, first of all, I want to like overall, like I'm looking at your teams and I'm like anyone that comes on the podcast this, this season, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into their teams a bit and um look at them so if i had to guess i'd say your strength is player analysis and like eliminating certain players you just don't want to deal with that certain profile but if i had to ask you like are you methodical analytical with projections or do you feel like like just um you go based on an experience and like the eye test like what sort of player do you think you are yeah i would say probably it's a combination of all those so um you know, I'm not, I'm into the analytics and, and everything and more or less I'm listening to podcasts. I like guys like you or Toby, you know, or, or Spore. I listen to a lot of those guys and I let them do the, you know, the footwork on all the, the data analysis and I'll kind of absorb that. And then I'll try to apply that into, into the draft um, along with um, players that, that I think there's some inefficiencies on in the market. So usually what I do every year, I, I kind of focus on a couple, you know, two to three players where I see that are way undervalued and I'll, and I'll try to target those guys in every draft. Um, this year, uh, Logan Webb. Couple, uh, you, what's that? Logan Webb, it looks like might, might've been one of your guys this year. Yeah. He was one of my guys. And, and usually it's, it's in the middle round because I don't like to, obviously if I'm not doing huge volume, I don't want to, uh, uh, have too much of one guy, but Vlad was the exception this year. So I went on Vlad uh, was my highest own player across all formats. Um, I just had a really strong conviction on him, and you know he was going in OCs around pick, you know, forty to fifty, some you know into the fifth round in OCs. Um, so I just saw that as his floor essentially. So I'm like, every OC I was in, or even the mains, I had him in two out of the three. I'm like, I'm just gonna jump him you know, around, because uh, honestly, if you're taking him in the fourth or fifth round, what was the score, you know, 270, 25, 90, he's not going to hurt you there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he could have a ceiling, obviously not what we saw this year. Even that would surprise me some, but to me, I thought he could give you like an Arenado season in his prime. And, you know, Arenado was always a first round pick every year. So I'm like, okay, he won't give me speed. He could give me every other category. And, uh, so anytime I saw him in the fourth, late fourth, early fifth round, I was smashing that that draft button. So um, honestly, that him and uh, Julio Urias were my were my two big targets because he was also going I thought later than he should have. Um, so I was always happy to, to take him around higher than you know where his ADP was, um, and turned out to be a, a pretty good bet there because you know I mean he put up Cy Young numbers almost this year, so he was a huge huge value. Yeah, twenty and three. Um, that's pretty. Yeah, he was great. 
Uh, Rice was one of the guys that I liked a lot too. I, I felt that he was, um, there was an inefficiency with him and you can tell me what you, maybe what, what your thoughts were. Uh, just because people, I think people had the, like the, the notion that he wasn't going to be able to throw a lot of innings. But I think if you looked at last year, the short season, he, he threw almost more innings than almost anyone. If you include the playoffs, like he threw a lot of innings in the playoffs. So I wasn't as concerned and I, and I did have my fair share of him. I didn't have a lot of Vladdy just because I didn't want to take a first baseman with no speed early, but um, that obviously worked out great for you. So what was it about Urias that you thought that he was undervalued with specifically about him? I mean, he was just going way too late. I, I mean, he was going, I know even in Mains, he was going eighth, uh, seventh, end of eighth round I got him. And, and I think my uh, my third main there, I mean, I mean, this is a, a legit ace feeling here. And, and I know, yeah, it was the, the innings concern that was kind of dropping him. And, you know, we didn't see it over a full season yet. So, uh, but to me, I'm like, the talent was there. He's on a team that's going to win 100 games. So, I mean, it was all there. Um, so yeah, I was just happy to take him. And he, he, I think he was one of my highest owned pitchers across uh, all leagues as well. But uh, cool. so yeah, him, Vlad, yeah, were the two uh, key guys that, that I really targeted and uh, really smashed all year with. Yeah, I'm trying. When I was going through your teams, I was looking at like which guys you had a lot of. Um, you had a lot of Teoscar. You had a lot of Blue Jays, actually. I noticed a lot yeah. of Bo, Bo Teoscar, <laughs> Vlad. But it's funny, my uh, my first main that I did, yeah, I, I had, I think, I had Bo, I had um, Vlad, I had Hernandez, I had Gritchick, and I think I had another, they just, all the Blue Jays kept falling to me, and I was like, you know what, I'm not like a guy that stacks teams in, in baseball ever, you know, it's more obviously the football thing, but I was very high, very bullish on the Blue Jays, you know, going into the season. The Oscar, I think, in that draft felt like some crazy, I don't know, ninth, tenth round in that main. Yeah, I, I want to. It was ridiculous how far he fell, and I'm like, well, I got to, I got to take him. This is after going for Bichette and Vlad. I'm like, well, I guess I'll take him. And then <laughs> Gritchick, another guy, fell to me late. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll take him. Um, and sure enough, those three big Blue Jays just carried that team <laughs> pretty much the whole season. Yeah, Teoscar's been great. He's he's going to be like a, probably a third round pick this year coming up. Um, it's funny, oh, like, yeah. in hindsight, you think, like, how is he, like, Lou Bob and, and Rosarina and Teoscar is pretty much just, like, the same type of player on a really good in a really good lineup. I, I don't know what the trepidation was, um, why he was going that late this year. But, yeah, I, I think he was a, a – he ended up being a great value. It's easy to say in hindsight. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, you know, with the shortened season last year, I know he hit uh, – he had a, hit a great season, just put up 60 games. So, I feel like there was still some – some doubt in Teoscar if he could actually do that over a full season. And yeah, he uh, not only, you know, he exploded, he, he, he did better than he did even in that 60 game sample. So yeah, I think he's even, he's probably more of a late second in, in a main early third. He's going to be like your first outfielder for a lot of teams. So yeah, yeah for sure. he gave you 12 steals. Yeah. 296 he hit. I mean, just a monster season. 32, 116. I think yeah. he's one of the only, like a group of like 15 guys that have, that have hit 300 over the last, like, I think the last season and a half, if you call 2020 a season um, mm -hmm. with that much power and he's got some speed. Yeah. No, he's, he's he was awesome. Um, let's look at some of the, the OCs. Let's, you did four OCs. You won all of them, right? Yep. Finished uh, first in all of them. And I mean, it was pretty much, 
I was pretty much in first all year and all four of them too. So, I mean, it was a, it was a wild year. Um, and we'll get into the, the two big teams, I'm sure, in a little bit. But uh, really just the third and fourth OC at the end, Vlad Sedler was in my third one. He was making a little run at me at the end. But he never got within really three or four points. And then my final OC, there was one guy that made a little run at me at the end too. Um, and he was close and saved to where I was. So what I did was I just I, – I was not in, in overall contention there. So all I did was just load it up on closers just to keep him from jumping me in saves. Uh, I think I was starting seven closers my final two weeks there just to keep him off my tail. And uh, that actually uh, was the difference. Uh, so he didn't he didn't jump me there. And I think I won by a point or a point and a half, something like that. <laughs> right. So that, that, that's an interesting that's an interesting segue into like the strategy of um, how many starters and how many relief pitchers you you want to roster. I guess in these OCs, right? Typically, I'd, I'd imagine it's six and three. Um, but um, sometimes. Um, like near the end, I was, I was doing the same thing as you in some of these OCs, um, this like putting in all these closers and I was watching what, what my opponents needed to get. And, um, do you think, do you think it makes sense that do you, do you, do you look at, um, like starters gravitating to more wins, like early in the season, it's just harder to get wins later in the season because I don't know, starts are getting skipped or, um, injuries happen or teams fall out of contention. So do you, do you like if you had to choose, I guess, before, like the, before the stretch run, are you, are you always starting all your closers or are you sometimes benching closers mid season? Yeah. So yeah, you hit on a good point. So yeah, the wins are much harder to come by at the end, end of the season. Like you said, pitchers are getting skipped innings are getting capped. I remember I was starting uh, the Detroit guys. I think even in August, they were like Scooble and Mize. Yeah. I mean, they were going three innings every start. And they were good pitchers for a good, you know, stretch of a couple months there. So once I started seeing that, I'm like, okay, they're dropped. I don't care what their ratios look like. If you're going to give me, I can't roll out a guy giving me three, four innings a start. Mm-hmm. And essentially that's what, well, you know, the end of the season there. Um, but in this, in this particular OC, uh, I happened to be way up in wins and Ks. It was just the perfect you know, perfect scenario where this guy could only cash me in saves and I could put my feet up. I didn't have to start a, a starter at all the last couple of weeks. I was so, you know, so high up in, the, in those categories. Um, so he was pretty much screwed and I just started all these closers and that was the only category he could, he could gain on me in and he wasn't able to do so. So, yeah, I mean, that's just end of the year strategy where you got to be conscious of what you're, the guys behind you need, um, what you need as well. And, and, and you got to do some blocking if you can and just, you know, uh, keep your eye on those categories. And, and you got to be also be uh, uh, mindful that if you're not competing in the overall, um, that you got to be willing to make some, some cuts and, you know, willing to concede that and just go for the league prize. And, and I think sometimes people hang on too long to these teams and, and don't, um, they don't make that adjustment early enough. And what happens is they tank in the overall and then they tank in their own league. <laughs> Um, so it's almost like a double whammy in a sense, you know? Yeah. So one thing I, one thing that I, that, that, that's, um, a good segue into this point that I, that I noticed this year, um, being like my second year playing. And one thing that I noticed was that like a good example was this first team that, that your team that was, I believe, fourth overall in the, in the OC, you had DeGrom, 
Bauer, Lubob, Loriano, all those guys got you half a year, like at, at best. So, mm -hmm. um, and a lot, a lot of teams did well with DeGrom. A lot of teams did well with Bauer. Like I won leagues with Bauer. I, I won leagues with DeGrom. Um, I, um, I think you won leagues with both. Um, so one thing I noticed is, is that like these pitchers, like people are, are risk adverse and they don't want to, they don't want to, they think if a pitcher, if you lose half a season, a pitcher, you're, you're toast. But the thing is with pitching, usually they bust early round pitching busts because of an injury. Usually it's, it's, whereas hitting, you got guys like Ballinger, Yellick, Glaber Torres, like my Glaber Torres teams, I think that the teams that, that have hitter busts in the early round are much more likely to do badly because you end up like hanging on to these players. Like I held Glaber Torres the whole year. He sucked. So I think like, like with the, the, like with losing a player for this season, it doesn't hurt you as much, especially when they're so elite, like a DeGrom or like a Tatis or even a Kuna. Like I think the, the person that won the, D, the the draft champions overall had Ronald Acuna on, on their team. So I think just like, I think this, this, just your team and, and just looking at some other teams just made me realize that like losing a player for a long period of time isn't as bad when you can just totally out replace them rather than, than just dragging your team through the mud for like the whole year. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. So it, so on that, on that team that finished four, so I had, you know, DeGrom and Bauer and they were, you know, even if it was a half a season, they were so good, especially DeGrom. I mean, that was, it was almost worth that pick still that, you know, how good he was. So. Uh, but to your point, with the uh, it's much better than having a player that's going to suck and, and be healthy all year or most of it. One of my mains, uh, I think I tweeted this too not, not a long time ago. It was the third round, and uh, the guy before me takes Vlad. I was about to go all in on Vlad again, and he takes him over Bellinger in round three. And I'm picking in the middle of the third round in the main. So you're looking at, you know, that's around 36, 37 around there. And it was like 10 picks later than Bellinger ever went so here I'm thinking I'm like oh wow this guy went Vlad over belly in this spot I'm here I'm like okay I guess I got to go belly right and sure enough <laughs> that one pick I think I would have won that would have been three for three in Maine I think mm -hmm. if that if that went Bellinger instead, <laughs> instead of a lad there I'll that's how it. yeah I mean, and you, I had all of that in my lineup pretty much until the very end all of his 160 or whatever it was um, you know, he was hurt a lot too, but whenever he was healthy, you're like, okay, this is, uh, uh, Cody Ballinger, you got to put him in your lineup and then he would do nothing and you just keep playing him and playing him. And you see at the end, I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't take any more. Yep. I think, um, the one OC that I, I played four OCs this year, I, um, the one that I, I did probably in one of them. And one of them, one was my, my Glaber Torres OC, because what do you do with them? Like, I guess you could drop him at yeah. a point, but um, really, he's just like, like for, for the fifth or sixth round, or wherever I took him, he just killed. He, like a like a player like that just kills you. Like a Bellinger, just it just crushes you in terms of the counting stats and everything. Where you need you need to you need to be hitting on something much better than that. And if like it'd be one thing if he just got hurt and you could replace him, you could have grabbed like a, a Mullins. I know that's another guy that you grabbed a lot. It's another transition um, to um, this first team of yours. I think you grabbed Mullins on a, a lot of teams like right after the first week where he was killing it. That was one guy that I just never got into this year. And um, credit to credit to the people that did pick him up and did draft him. Um, but um, like, yeah, looking at these OCs, I think yeah. Fab is such a huge part of the OCs because especially that first week, and I think you did a lot of early ones. It looked like from like from the OC number, uh, I think you drafted relatively early. Um, and um, that first run, like um, 
is really important and getting and getting on some getting and capitalizing on some of the mistakes that your opponents make too. Yeah, and you hit on Mullins there. I mean, that was I mean, listen, anyone that told you that they saw that coming, you know, they're just lying to you. I mean, I picked him up, you know, the the book on him was, you know, nice speed, you know, like no power essentially. And then mm-hmm. you know, even the platoon player, you know, he wasn't getting everyday at bats, you know, for the most part the last couple of seasons. And then you know, he had the hot week, I think. I never picked him up, and then the hot week turned into a hot two weeks, and then he just never stopped. And so, I mean, you just kept him in your lineup all year, and he just smashed. Unbelievable. So what was, kind going, of, it reminded honestly, me. what was going through your head when you were picking him up? Because you put in bids on, like, I'm looking at your team, you, you targeted him, absolutely. So, because he had, he had that great, he had an amazing first week. So what was going through your head? Were you just like, I'm going to ride this streak? Or did you see something in him that you thought might have been sustainable or hoped it was? Well, I think I think he showed a little power early, and I knew you know I knew he he had the speed, so I'm like, okay, if this guy can tap into any power, uh, he's hitting the top of the lineup. Even though it's the Orioles, um, you know, he'll score some runs. He's definitely going to steal some bags, um, and then he just kept hitting homers after homer after homer. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this guy's turning into like a monster, and then he just never left my lineup the entire season. So. Yeah, he was definitely a, a huge part of my success in, in a couple of those OCs for sure. So I was looking at that one OC in particular, and I was looking at the FAB because I'm, I'm trying to figure out where, 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 where you stepped right, where you stepped wrong. How do you, how do you, how do you come close to winning overalls? And like that first week, it, like that's it was like chaos in that in, in that one particular um, OC where you were fourth overall. That first week of FAB because I I, I imagine you drafted early early ish, like I said. CJ Crone, Tyler O'Neill, Freddie Peralta, Jazz, Trevor Rogers, Cease, India, Votto, Vaughn. You got none of them. And you, you like you, you hit you got none of those guys the first week. You got Logan Webb, who you dropped like in an untimely manner. Like you, you actually dropped him at yeah. hurt. I did the same thing. Um, so that first week wasn't successful for you for you at all, really. But on the second fab run, you nailed Mullins, Cedric Mullins, uncontested, might I add, and the big one, this is this the big thing that actually probably helped you immensely in this league and the overall is Austin Riley. Somebody dropped him for Michael Franco. Yeah, that it's funny, man, because when I if you saw that bid, I think I was too you know, way over bid. I was two hundred something and oh, it was the runner up. Yeah. Um and I was actually shocked. I'm like, how because you know, he was supposed to be a big prospect and power. And to me, I, to no one else even being that close to, to my bid, you know, you always feel that last oh, shit, I just wasted whatever, 100, 150 fab dollars. But, um, yeah, no, I just, again, he's another guy I had in all main, all three mains as well. I just had a good feeling with, with Riley. And uh, if he could take a step up, I thought his average, um, he was he was more of a, you know, 270, 280 hitter than he was whatever, 240 that, that he showed. We knew the power was there. We knew the lineup was awesome. Um, so to me, he was just an easy pick in the middle rounds uh, in these drafts. And then when I saw him get dropped, I'm like, okay, it's early enough. If I hit on him here, you're going to get a whole season out of this guy. And if he hits, I mean, it's well worth whatever it was, 20%, whatever I, I bid. It was yeah. definitely over 200. But um, uh, that, that that was my, awesome. I, I, I never – I never thought he was to be a 270 hitter. My thing was like, I wasn't as high on him. I thought he was like, like, I thought he had the potential to be like a 220, 230 guy, sort of like your, I don't know, like guys like that. Right. 
So what 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 do you see in him that you thought that you thought that a little bit highly more highly of him than others? Well, I, I think it was more to the team uh, um, construction there in Atlanta. I just I, I thought the lineup was was awesome. So um, yeah, I, I think you know he's going to see a lot of good pitches to hit, uh, especially hitting uh, at the time. I think uh, what's his name that was a. Uh, uh, Zuna, Zuna was hitting behind him. I think at one point with Freddie, uh, Freddie Freeman, and everybody else there. It was just a huge lineup, a big opportunity for for home runs and RBIs. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are county stats. I mean, a guy that's going to hit in the middle of that lineup should not be on any waiver wire in, in, in an OC. So, I mean, that was my thinking. I, like, I'm not afraid to spend, and I, I know I think we'll touch on that too. Like, kind of what my <laughs> waiver wider uh, strategy is like I'm, I'm one of these guys that'll go big uh, early and often if I have to and uh, you know I'm not afraid to to just drain my, my bankroll if I have to obviously not go insane but um, uh, I'm okay overbidding if I think if I want a guy I'll gladly uh, uh, bid well over you know what I think I'll go for just to just to get the guy um, right. and, and I think that's kind of mistake some players make is they're too concerned with you know, how efficient should my bid be? Or, you know, I don't want to waste too much fab. When you think about it, end of the year, you're lucky at the, the, the 100% of fab bankroll. If you hit on maybe 20% of, of all the guys, that's probably a high number, I would say. Um, so if you have a conviction about a guy and, and you see something in the guy and you think, you know, someone that could help your team, you want, I'd go big. I mean, that's my advice to everybody is go get the guy. Don't worry about the hundred dollars you might overbid or whatever it is, because uh, if you hit on that guy, he's well worth that extra hundred extra hundred bucks you spent on him. Yeah, I think especially in these OCs, you can, going big early and getting getting on like like at least this year's all all the players that I listed, but some of them you didn't well mostly you didn't get in the first round. Like a lot of those players are well worth triple digits, like Trevor Rogers, Peralta, O'Neill, like all those guys. O'Neill was probably dropped, but. Um, um, more so than the, more so than a 15 team main event i think it's important to like um it, it's it makes more sense to spend big in these ocs because not only like are there better players being dropped that are huge difference makers but also you can tend you tend to be able to get cheaper players later on in these ocs you, you're getting good players for a dollar or two i've noticed like late in the season well that too yeah so there's a lot of factors of things that go into it so first off if it's early in the season you're getting this player if you hit on this player for the entire season or close to it. So right there, I mean, that's already um, increasing the value of that player versus getting him, you know, end of June or mid July or something. And then to, to your point that you just hit on, you know, in most of these leagues, half of the leagues are, are, are done competing in July, even, maybe even earlier. So the price of these guys go down. So you're willing to get some maybe difference makers later on at a much cheaper cost than you would back in April or May. So to me, if you see somebody early on and, and you want that player and, and you think he has a chance, uh, yeah, you want to go big for him. Unless you get some guy at the end of the year, just putting 41, 41, 41 on everything, right? <clears throat> Mark Kiefer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I remember, I, I remember you saying something about that and on Twitter. And then I also, um, it reminded me that when I was looking through all these fab bids, I'm like, what's what's going on here? Like, why is this guy bidding so much? And he, I'm like, Kiefer's bidding. He's in sixth place. Like, what? Like, I get it, but I don't know. Like, 
But at the same time, yeah. I'm like, okay. Then, then I looked, I was starting, I'm like, I got to fucking investigate what's going on here. And then I started looking at what's going on. I'm like, okay, I know he's buddies with Vlad. Vlad's in second place. And then I'm like, is Vlad out of money? But no, Vlad wasn't out of money. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't know. It's inconclusive because I'm like, if Vlad had no yep. money, yeah. he started to pump up the bid just so you couldn't get spe- uh, anything. And that's, that would make him more suspect. But I'm not saying it's suspect. I'm just trying to looking into it. And I, I wasn't, there was no, a, no, no. It wasn't anything conclusive that I could find, but uh, I, I talked to Mark, I talked to Vlad, but I'm just saying, I'm just started looking yeah. into it. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's sort of like, if I were you, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Well, exactly. So this is my, yeah. So I saw that and I, and I thought it was strange. Um, first off, Mark's a super nice guy. Yeah, he, he actually was sending me screenshots of his other things. He was doing this across all these. I have zero suspicion that it was anything, you know, outside of him just trying to, to, to move up, I guess. No, I agree. My, that's my, my that's not what I'm trying to allude to at all either. But I, but I did want, yeah. to, I did want to look into it because it was, um, it caught my eye. My, see, the thing that caught my eye was okay. I understand that, but he didn't make moves for like six weeks prior to that. Mm. I'm like, if it was that important, to finish high. Like, why didn't you make any moves for the, you know, the month before it? So that was kind of what I was like, okay, but whatever. Yeah, he did this in every league he was in, so it's just something he wanted to do. But uh, yeah, listen. If I have no no issues with anybody doing that, the only issues I have is if it's if there's some sort of shady business going on, and they're you know they're trying to collude with another owner or something. You know, that's always my first instinct when I see something like that. But yeah, no, he wasn't doing any of that. So. No, no. And I I I was putting in bids in leagues that I was like in eighth place too. So I was doing the same thing. I guess maybe it just stuck out because of the size of the bids and the money that he had left over, sort of highlighted it, but. Maybe if he had just said, if he didn't have enough, if he didn't have as much money as he did, it wouldn't have, he probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. And it's kind of like a I don't want to say it's an unwritten rule in the FBC, but it's like if you're way out of out of things and you're nowhere near cashing, I mean you really sh- why are you bidding on anybody in the last week? It, I mean to me it's you just let the guys battle it out, you know, at the top and see, you know, let them fight for the guys and win the guys. That's that's how I view it. Uh, I think a lot of people agree with that, but. Again, if it's not anything that uh, you know um, shady or any or any uh, uh, ill motives behind it, then I'm fine with it. Right. Yeah, that was um, what was that? That was your third league. I don't I don't want to jump ahead here, but um, that, I think that was the third league that, that you. Yeah. Were, but yeah, we were so the third that that first league. Um, you um, so Degrom. Yeah, Degrom in that league, and and uh, that basically carried you. You probably that obviously got you off to a super hard hot start. You took zeros from Degrom on your bench a couple of times because he was hurt, and then you held him. You held him quite a while, um, I guess, because you could afford to. And then you ended you ended up dumping him eventually. Um, uh, but you did. You obviously your fab pickups were huge in terms of Mullins and Austin Riley that helped you uh, catapult yourself to a fourth overall. You, I think you picked up Wainwright too, which was big. Um, in these OCs, like you, yeah. you end up with a loaded team. You, you're benching guys like Guriel and Frankie Montas, Nelson Cruz. Like, almost, it's not even yeah. a party to bench those guys. I, in that league too, I had to drop Nelson Cruz at one point um, just because I had Otani, and oh, yeah. you know there was a there. So yeah, your your, yeah, your, I mean, your base was great. You had Albies, Goldie, Otani, Devers, Teoscar. So you had a great, you had a, an amazing offensive base, and then. You're pitching. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, the lineup just smashed. I mean, that, that whole lineup was crazy from the start. 
and I hate, you know, I don't want to be making excuses, but I mean, if DeGrom and Bauer, it was the only thing that held me back from winning the whole thing was my ratios. Mm. And, you know, if I got 120 innings from those two, I mean, I'd be, I, I think I would have been right up there with, uh, with the first place Fessler and Phil there at the end. Uh, but that was it. I yeah, but that's the ratio. is your own fault for drafting. You knew DeGrom was going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man, that was uh, yeah, that was it was painful. And I'm a huge Mets fan too, so I mean, I was you know I'm watching every game, and it's just every time he pitches, it's just you know it's just it's just awesome to watch. It's like an event, and then uh, you know with him coming in, getting hurt, and then coming coming back too early and getting hurt and then leaving, it's like I don't know, I I don't know what to think now moving forward. I mean. Yeah, that's another question. I think I, just threw- it's, a good, it's a good time to ask that. What, what, what are your thoughts on him? Where are you taking him? Uh, we did an early DC. We're already we already finished one of them for next year, uh, for this year, 2022. He won the second round. Um, personally, I wouldn't okay. take him. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, mean, I, would, I would say. I think he's still a first round. I mean, if he's throwing and he looks healthy and everything, to me, it would be hard pressed to not take him in the first round. Just after what we saw this year, I, I know. Obviously, he's going to be an injury risk, and that's going to be in the back of everyone's mind. But he was so—I mean, I don't—I've never seen a pitcher as dumb as he was this year. I mean, this year—I mean, you're talking all-time, all-time, all-time years ever. Um, you just kind of think about what could have been if he could have just made it through the whole season. But I mean, to me, if he gives you 140 innings of that kind of elite ratio, I mean, I think he's still worth a first-round pick at that at that. Uh, at those ratios and that volume. Well, I'll have to see if he's pitching in spring training. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people, recency bias plays a big hand. If he's mowing people down in the spring, throwing 99 again, like, oh, there goes Jake at pick six. You know, it's not a, it's yeah. not going to take too much. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if he's pitching in spring training. And, yeah, I think that's what a lot of the – a lot of the players like you are going to wait to see what happens in spring. Um just to just to close out this this um, the first one where you finished fourth overall now saves um, what what happened there you had um, who did you have for your closers um, I know you had, um, I had Barnes. you juiced Barnes for whatever he was worth right oh you had Iglesias yeah and then you had then you drafted Scott I think Tanner Scott on the Orioles and this whole I think I looked at the uh, the league I think you were chasing Orioles and Reds and Rays like all those annoying bullpens just to like um, <laughs> Just to to gather more and more saves, right? Were you were you ch- did you feel like yeah. you were chasing saves the whole year? Well, here's the thing. So I took Iglesias in round seven, and and he was he was awesome all year. I mean, not, I mean that was a great pick in that spot. Um, he just stayed in my lineup all year. But what he finished with thirty something saves, good ratios. I mean, good K's. Awesome. I mean, you want that seventh round pick? will take that every time. But then, then I kind of slept on closers for a while. And then, and then I took Matt Barnes as my second. He was, remember he was going super cheap um, in the early in the draft season. So I got as my second closer. And remember he was amazing for like half the season. Or mm-hmm. I, I think that's, yeah. I mean he was he was one of the top closers. And then it just completely the wheels fell off. And you're like, oh my god. I mean he wasn't just getting like giving up a couple runs. He was giving up three, four, five. He was just getting blasted. And I was like, oh my god. He was in my lineup couple of weeks where i couldn't wait to, for somebody to come just to get rid of them uh, it was that bad um but yeah so i had the one closer in iglesias and then i was kind of just playing 
uh, closer roulette and picking up guys here and there. And, you know, I don't think I was ever too high in saves. I was high enough, you know, to contend there. Um, I think I had 80, 90 saves or so, something around that. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of picking up guys, playing them for a week or two, uh, churning the roster and um, just trying to get some added saves at the end there. Right. So your second one, that was your Blue Jay stack, actually. Your, your second your second DC, or not, your second OC was your Blue Jay stack. Um, you did, like, like I said, you did have a lot of Blue Jays um, uh, that, uh, this year. Uh, one thing I noticed in your second one, you did, you did win the league. You did get Mullins again. Um, you did fab, I think Robbie Ray. See these, the fab is just, is so big in these OCs. I feel like, mm. and you also got Dan yeah. Neal. You ended up getting uh, Jonathan Indian and, and Therese Fubel, who was really great for a while for a buck, which, which is another thing I was talking about. Um, so talk about this league. You, you did win it still. You still won the league, but there's two big miss, missteps. Well, not big. There's one bigger misstep and there's one smaller misstep. One smaller misstep was you actually benched Vlad in a week or a period where he like, I think he had two or three bombs. And now, and I looked, I'm like, okay, because I looked at what I was looking at is I'm like, your, um, your stats that you played and the stats that you benched. And I looked at your bench and like, Vlad was on the bench. Like, why would you ever bench Vlad? And I'm like, okay, which week did he bench Vlad? I think it was like week five. I'm like, okay, yeah, two games on Tuesday, Wednesday versus the Nationals, Max Scherzer. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So I wanted to ask you about benching your studs. That obviously backfired on you big time. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, yeah, what, so, what, like, what your strategy, when would you bench, like, a player like Vlad? Well, I mean, the short answer is don't anymore. But, um, <laughs> you know, this was this was a pre-Vlad uh, breakout, Vlad. You know, this was in April. And actually, you, you sent me those notes. I'm like, yeah, I got to go look it back at why, you know, why did I do that? And I checked out the week prior. He was three for 17, didn't really have any counting stats, and playing at I think it was at the Nats or maybe it was home, but he had a facing shirt. It was a two game slate. This is Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and I think I had, it was either Guriel or, or uh, Alonzo maybe going four games. I'm like, okay, you know, at this point, Vlad really wasn't doing too much. I'm like, all right, this is an easy, easy sit. Get two extra games from the other guys, maximize your AB if you can. And yeah, sure enough, he went like, you know, four for eight with three homers, seven RB. I mean, I was, my stomach was, was just, dropping every time I, I saw him hit a run in those two games I'm like Jesus um yeah he never obviously left the lineup again but I mean yeah that, that's painful because you're never you're not getting those counting stats back <laughs> you just have to, to to stomach that production uh, on your bench in two games no less um yeah that that one was hard to watch yeah all right so no, no more benching no more benching Vladdy. um next thing is Merriweather I was right with you on him I was I made the mistake. I spent a lot of money on him in several leagues. Julian Merriweather. What do, What are your thoughts on that? Listen, I kind of going back to what I started off. I mean, the process to me was right. So, you know, he looks he looked apart. Um, you know, like I said, I was bullish on, on the Blue Jays, and um, you know, he he looked like he he wanted Merriweather to take that role. You know, he I think it was a couple appearances. I, I want to say. Uh, in the closing and ninth inning. Um, I mean, he had, this stuff is incredible. Um, so I just went for it. Yeah. I, I went for like 400 plus in, in two of the mains. Um, yeah. And I'll never forget. I think he, he threw, he had, he pitched one out and the first time I used them in my lineup and then he got hurt like on the next batter. So he, I paid $400 for essentially one out. 
um, and he was off my team like the next week or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, that just goes. I, to, I probably held him for like, like weeks just for because I wanted to get my money's worth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just until the official timetable came out or whatever. But that, again, that's kind of what I was speaking to before: is one bid is not going to make or break your team. So even if you go for it, if you swing and and you miss. You know, there's still you could still win a league easily. I mean, I did. Those were main events too that uh, I did that in. So, um, uh, you, you just don't value Fab too much, where it's gonna kind of limit, um, you know, your transactions or hold you or you know, hamstring hamstring you from from making a move if, if it's something. Uh, if you want to, you need to take the chance too to hit these overalls. Um, and you know, if he went, if you got him and he, and you you know through 40 saves, uh, elite ratios. You look like a genius, and sometimes you look like an, like an idiot. But <laughs> I don't mind taking those chances. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I remember I was looking back at an old conversation. We picked him up in a in a tag team that I did uh, with my Curlin, and I remember I was looking back at my, uh, my text conversation with him, and I, I I sent him all the 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 savant data for Merriweather, like process. This is the right process decision that we that we added Merriweather. It turned out to be unfortunate what happened, but I, I I agree with you. I think he was like in line to to be that to be that locked in closer for the whole year. But um, anyways, he got hurt. Um, let's um, let's go on to your third OC. Um, this is we talked about this um, a little bit. This is a you had, you had everyone in this one. You had Kiefer. We talked about Vlad, Toby, John Fish, Jalby, uh, Mike Govier. You had a very competitive OC. Well, year. you ended up winning it. The funny thing. Uh about that one so yeah i think we were i was on twitter one night i forget who it was maybe me or Valette. I, I, maybe, I think it was me actually we wanted to draft and we kind of were just tagging people like all right who wants to let's just do this and then all these you know great players start signing off oh my god geez so this is like we all kind of went in knowing okay no one's winning the overall in this league but uh let's just draft and uh, have some fun i guess do you do you um do you try and pick your rooms carefully no um to be honest i i don't it might sound cocky i guess yeah i'm not i don't really i don't concern myself at all with with you're humble who else is in a room obviously if i had a choice or something and i see one room with you know four or five really great players you know i'll choose the other room but i'm not gonna change my draft time or not try to avoid people at all because i think you know, I'm right there with with any of them, so they should be avoiding me. I think as well. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, we avoided each other this year. I think in baseball, for the most part. I think I don't think we were any. No, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we were. No, I don't know if we were the year before, perhaps. But anyways, uh, so this third one, you end up winning two. James Paxton, really? Did you, <laughs> did you draft James? I, the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, I was. I can't quit Paxton every year. I, I, I tell myself this is the year, I, and he's always so cheap. I mean, he's he's never expensive anymore. So I'm like, you know, you see the upside, and it's just it's just it's not going to work. No, dude, I think, I think I'm done. Drafted in our DC, this like our 50 round DC that we just did, like undrafted. Oh, it's the second time he wow. He's not going to be back till mid year. Best case, like I don't know. I thought he was. Yeah. Back. I, I was doing. I was working with a partner in that one. I was trying to convince him to take him. We're not. I was sort of saying, "Oh, do you want to take Paxton?" He's like, "No." No chance. So I don't know. He definitely will go. Yeah, up. I mean, he won't be drafting any um, fab leagues. That's for sure this year. You got to. I mean, you just got to feel for the guy too. He looks good. He, you know, it's just he can never stay. It's just he's just one of these guys that his body just does not uh, hold up at all. 
So this league, that would, that would, I think this might have been your closest league. Um, I think Vlad was Vlad Sadler, Roto Gut was right on your tail the whole year. And Vlad is known for loving Tyler O'Neill. I don't know if you know that. You probably do. Um, Tyler, yeah. Tyler O'Neill is like his boy. And um, I think he had him, and then he dropped him when he got injured. Uh, I think I had O'Neill in a couple of leagues. I ended up dropping and picking him back up. Um, and you got him after you got the, the, the sloppy seconds, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, that along with actually timing Logan Logan Webb right in that league, and you had both of those guys for the for like the balance of the season, and and those two pickups were basically your turning point, and you won the league. Like those were without those two pickups, do you think you win that league? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill. I mean, wow, uh, I, I was just shocked at how good he was this year. You know. Uh, you know, the batting average was, was the concern with him. And, you know, you just didn't know if he could hit enough, right, just to stay in that lineup every day. And, my God, he was just a freaking monster the entire season. So, yeah, I had him. I had He was another player I had across a ton of a ton of leagues, from DCs to cut lines, OCs. I think he was behind Vlad. I think he was my second own uh, highest uh, bat. So, yep. yeah, no, he was a huge, huge boon for my teams this year. Right on. And then you did a fourth one. I think um, Lindy Hinkleman was in that league. So you, you, were, you were knocking off a lot of good competition this whole year. Um, that was, again, you had Vlad. And then you had that league. You had Scherzer, DeGrom, Wheeler, Montas. And you, you held Mondesi. I think you held Mondesi the whole year in that league. I did. Yeah. And you still hung on. Yeah. I hung on to win. He, you know, he, when he first got hurt, I remember he, right, he came back. He got hurt twice, right? And when he came back, the first one was obviously the uh, the oblique, right? So he was out for, I don't know, what, a couple months. And then he got hurt, like, shortly after that. But, yeah, to me, he's just the guy. And we saw, you know, at the end, I mean, like, this is a guy that you kind of have to hold on to. Uh, you just got to suck it up and, and stash him. I mean, you saw what he can do in such a short amount of time. And he could even make a difference in, in one month of play. Um, so, and, uh, yeah, it's just, just a rare thing. It'd be interesting to see where, where did he get, where's he going in these DCs now? Fifth round. Second round. He's went fifth, but there are all, he's not going to play every day. Um, another interesting thing, I don't know if this matter, he's going to be only third base eligible, um, going into next year. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to oh. play. So I don't like, uh, it's tough because he's not going to like, yeah, you could say like you can accumulate like X amount of stolen bases in a short time, but like the thing is like it's spread. It's not like it's not like we're a case where um, I was having this conversation with um, with um, Rob DiPietro about um, Brandon Rogers, and like Brandon Rogers is actually pretty valuable this year because all his stats were condensed into like 400 bats over a short period of time. And Rob was saying, well, uh, like Donovan Solano or whoever it was, I think it was Solano had like the same stats. I'm like, well, Solano, you had those stats. And you had to like deal with a platoon across a whole year. Whereas Rogers, you can condense those stats. Next year, if Monesi is healthy, all the stats are going to be dragged out over a longer period of time because yeah, you'll play him, but he might play like four days a week, right? Right, yeah. So it, I mean that's sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You can finish your thought. Um well, I don't think I had a thought, but I think my thought was my, my, my other question to you is, is, is I don't really have a thought with that, but I was sort of wanted to hear what you had to say, what you had to say about Monty. But my question to you about him is, is he a guy that you just like, if you're going to be on, if you're going to play four OCs, is he, is he a guy you like, I want him on one of them, or is he a guy that you want to target? 
and think he could be a league winner for all your teams. Monty, right? You're talking, yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, that's definitely not a guy I'm, I'm targeting in all of them for sure. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's one of the probably the, the last guy you should um, you should be adding in all your leagues, but definitely you want at least some um, ownership of them. Uh, yeah, it's just too risky. I mean, as much as I love the guy, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't need, you know, 60 steals to win the overall. You know, it's, you just have to be competitive in that category um, and you take a bunch of guys that go 15, 20, you know, steals. Uh, you could survive. I think even in my big teams, I was never, you know, top of the league in steals. I don't think I was even top, you know, two or three even. Uh, as long as you get to that, you know, fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth area and just remain competitive there, uh, that's all you need. So to me, taking them in round two, I think is is, is long gone. I think maybe you won't need end of the third. With that? Well, you won't need to take them in round two. He won't. I don't think anyone's going to be taking it, reaching on him that early next year. I think if you're talking, yep. talking about 15 or 12, I think he, I think he, you're going to get him in the fourth round of these OCs next year. Oh, okay. OCs. Yeah. I was, I was thinking more main. Yeah, third, teamers. Third, like, I, guess. I think you'd be fine to target him in the third if you wanted him. I think maybe he might even, yeah. well, I don't know what's going to happen. You're, you're going to have to listen to the news, how they're going to use him, but that, that's going to change things. But I think the days of him in, a, in the second round are gone and first for sure. You do know there's there's always a guy in your league that, that loves that is willing to to jump out and reach for this guy. So true. everyone you know said he's not going to go until this point. Yeah, there's going to be someone that you know it just gets uh, sees those, those that steal upside. Like you know what, I'll take a chance. And you know, there's always one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. So just to recap, the, and I, and I, we talked about your four OCs. Looking at like a pattern, like I, I noticed a couple of things. Your catcher, you didn't really spend up on a catcher in these OCs, yet you'd be more willing to in a 15-team league. And that's one thing I noticed. Another thing was you you did go pitching early. Like in your four OCs, you had Colin Bauer, sorry, Colin Bueller, DeGrom and Scherzer, Bauer and Scherzer, DeGrom and Bauer. So that was an important thing to you is pitching was important to you. Catching was not as important. And I noticed you always had, you always had one anchor middle infielder that would get you stolen bases early. And all four of them, you either had one, you had Albies, another one, you had Bichette, another Baez, another Mondesi. So those are things that like um, I'm, I'm looking at, are those sort of boxes to check for you? Or is it just, or is it just yeah. sort of unraveled in these four? Yeah. Drafts? I think so in, in the OC, especially. So like the pocket aces, which, you know, Toby has, has made uh, famous over there, but I've, I've been doing that since, you know, 2014, 2015. I mean, that's been my ideal strategy. Uh, if not one and two, I'm going, you know, maybe first and third or something. But in the OCs, you're just, you could build an offense so much easier in those 12 teamers um, that it just pays to pay up for that huge pitching. Because um, you know, once you lock down those aces, you're just, it's just an easier route to, to getting an overall monster team. Uh, whereas in the 15 teamers, you really got to be a little more uh, judicious with uh, um, your pitching early. You definitely want pitching early, but you know you can't you can't sleep on bats. Not nearly the same same as you could in, in a 12 teamer. Uh, and that kind of I know uh, one of the points you had asked about too is the strategy number. You know, uh, drafting uh, a team and an OC versus, you know, um, whether you need to fab 
uh, in a 12 teamer versus the 15 teamers? Do you have to draft? Was like, is our OCs one with Fab and, and Maine's one? Yeah. I know it's not a black and white yeah. answer, but I wanted you to sort of elaborate on that. No, that's that, that's a great question, and and I and I think in the mains and the fifteen teamers, you need to draft a winner at the draft table. You are not. I mean, from my experiences, I've only been playing it, you know, three years now. But if you don't draft a winner, it's going to be extremely tough um, to to work that team in Fab. It's just you know, it, it the players out there. Uh, it's just there's nothing out there on the water all year. I remember one year, you know, I was I was lighting speed early on. And I just can never get enough speed the entire year. There's just nothing ever out there for me. Um, so you really need to kind of cover all your bases in the main event draft. Uh, you, everyone's going to have a little weakness here and there, but you cannot walk out of that draft room like just dead in one category. Uh, or you're going to have real issues trying not only, you know, forget overall, you, you're going to have issues even competing in the league. So um, whereas the OC, you know, there's a lot more leniency, I think, in, in a draft room where, you might not have to draft a huge monster, you know, just get your nucleus of guys and you're able to kind of um, um, uh, supplement it through the, the fab wider way easier than you would in a 15 team or it's just hmm. the player pool is so much more massive, you know? Um, so yeah. And even the replacement value is, is decent in a 12 teamer where, whereas sometimes in a 15 teamers, you're starting guys in the outfield that aren't even playing every day. So um, and you just know that there's another team in your league that has five guys that are, again, every day at bats are producing and you're just way behind the eight ball. Um, so uh, to me, the draft is much more important in a 15 team league than it is in a 12 teamer. I agree. That makes logical sense, too. Um, so it's, uh, it's a good transition. I know we're running a bit late, but let's talk about your mains real quick. Um, first one, um, I think you had the, the, another Blue Jay stack and um, um, this is the one that you were ninth overall. Um, you won your main event, and you're again. So you had two top ten finishes in both those leagues. So not for that fucking guy, Phil. Um, we'd be talking about you. Um, looks like um, looks like in general in these mains, you're reluctant to take more than one like top closer. I think it's just you. you did you find that it's just you're, you're sacrificing too much other stuff to take two relief pitchers in the first, I guess, part of the draft? If you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, that's something that you change next year, given that really pitching with is so fucked up this year. Yeah. And, and that's another great point too. And, and I think, yeah, in the main, I find it very difficult to draft two closers in like the first top 10 rounds. I'm happy to take one of those top six, seven guys and just kind of find, hope to find, you know, another closer in the 12, 13, 14, 15th round around there. Just because if you think about it, you know, strategy-wise, you know, there's going to be other teams in this tournament that hit, right, on closers late. So if I'm, you know, if I'm taking two guys in the top seven, eight rounds, you know, the opportunity cost is so great there where you know other teams are going to hit on somebody late. They're taking a huge bat there in a spot where you're taking that your second closer. Um, and the odds are even that second closer might not hit for you in round eight or nine. So... Uh, to me, if to win to to win the overall, you really got to to hit uh, on those secondary pieces and and that second closer. Uh, if you could get him late, and uh, I know I had Class A, I took him late, super late in a lot of those mains, and yeah, and it was a huge. Shoot. You hit on quite a quite a few times. Yeah, I had him in, in all three of my mains, 
Um, so that was just a monster. And I had a Alex Reyes as well, who was awesome for a good you know, three or four months there. So uh, that's, I think, that what separates a lot of these teams is being able to nail those those closers late and then uh, those difference makers in, in round 15, 16, uh, and even later than that. But those are the teams that you see kind of separate themselves at the end. Yeah, so was there something about Clays and Reyes that you, that you noticed um, that, that made you a little bit more confident in those guys, Clays is a guy I missed on. I liked Reyes. Reyes is a guy that I had on a few teams, um, helped me a lot. But Clays is a guy that I, I don't know. I, I think these beat writers just fucked me this year, like with, with Lansing and and Clays. Like uh, they often don't know anything. <laughs> I find. Yeah. Well, remember that that situation was very ambiguous, right? You had Clase, you had Krinchak, um, and was the other dude? Wickren. Yeah, Wickren, who a lot of, I, a lot of people were. Yeah. Um, so to me, I think it was class A. It was actually the cheapest of the three. And, and he had, you know, it's not the best stuff right up there with Karinchak. So to me, it was more just about value. I'm like, you know what? This is a situation. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Let me take the cheapest guy. I was getting him in around like 22, 23 around there. Um, and sure enough, you now he got, what, 24, 25 saves, something like that. Elite ratios, like four or five wins. I mean, yeah. again, awesome. that's got to just you have to hit on those guys and and you know fortunately i, I had him across uh, all three of those mains right so you got another main you did you you were 31st overall you you won that league as well you drafted a lot of relief pitchers and that's something else, this is something i'm thinking about constantly going into next year is like where where do you target the relief pitchers and how many do you want to come out of your draft with and i've talked to a lot of smart players about this and i don't, I don't think there's a right answer i think you know, the landscape's going to shift every year but um, one thing, my my best league, um, I draft. It was an auction, right? I I think I took in, in these auctions. You you draft nine pitchers to start, and then they, then you do the reserve rounds. I don't know if you, I don't think you I don't think you played auctions this year, but that's how that's how it works. You you, you draft your twenty three players in in the auction, then you do a snake draft of the remaining seven bench spots or whatever. Um, and in the auction, I took I took four relievers, so it's sort of like a quantity over quality approach. I think I got Presley. But then I got like Pagan and Montero on the Mariners. And then I ended up getting Alex Reyes in the reserve rounds. So I ended up with five. But it's sort of like maybe that maybe it's just like a quad, like it's just like a it's a numbers game, right? So it's like throw throw your throw a dart at not, I hate saying that, but not darts, but selectively choose more relievers than you think you're going to need because you know some of them are going to die off. It's sort of like what Toby says with his pocket aces. It's like, even if one bus, that's still, that one um, starter is so valuable to you. Sort of take that theory and translate it to relief pitchers. Typically you, you want to get two, maybe a third later on. But if you grab like, like you did here five, I forget which ones you took, but I know some of them were useless. Um, then you're going to, you're going to hit hopefully two of them and then you're going to fab another one and you're good so i'm thinking yeah like, i think maybe it's, it's like you still got to decide when you're going to target the relief pitchers but i think you you want to get a lot of them in these drafts i think i think you want to i think you want to end i think you want to come out of these drafts with a lot of relief pitchers because the starting pitchers you're getting at the end of the drafts are basically like fucking cucks anyways that you're going to draw Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with uh, with a lot of that too. And then uh, you mentioned uh, Toby, right? So yeah, Toby, I 
I like the way uh, he formulates his drafts too, and I'm a big fan of his. And I think he's a, uh, you know, one of the few analysts who's also, you know, an awesome player. And and I think a lot of, you don't see a lot of those guys out there. The combo, the analyst and player. So I'm definitely uh, I respect his game a lot. So yeah. He's one of the guys I want to get on this offseason, and I've already, I already have, I've already pulled out his drafts too. So if he agrees to come on, yeah, no. give me somebody I'm going to be talking to if he agrees to. It. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Toby's a good guy, and uh, he's had a lot of success too in a short period. So all these, all these new guys too. I mean, I mean, Phil's a monster. That this, you know, the best fantasy year of all time. So I mean, this is a, this is a year to remember for sure. And I, and I think I tweeted if, uh, you know, I was like uh, Phil Mickelson to, to Tiger Woods this year. Like, I was I was the other guy. That, <laughs> yeah. Phil, he won everything under the sun. So, but, yeah, uh, yeah okay. good for him. Okay, Phil guy. You got to knock him off next year somehow. Um, do, do you think, speaking of him, do you think people are, like, I know people are going to try and um, figure out his system and sort of replicate it. Some people might try to copy him. Some people might try to figure it out. But do you think it's going to shift I think like what he's done this year could shift like the landscape of next year's draft so much that everyone might try to um, copy pieces of what he does. Maybe pitching gets up pushed up earlier. I, I think I think what like people just looking at his old, his drafts from this year might actually impact ADP next year. Absolutely, yeah. So especially after this, I mean. Everyone is going to be looking at you know who who he's taking and so that and that just goes with the territory after a year like this. So, I mean, he knows that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, people uh, are just going to gravitate towards towards the guys he's taking, uh, which will be interesting. I mean, uh, you know, as great as he is, you know, he, you know, we might have difference of opinions. So it's it's you know he's getting a lot of guys to reach for guys that he's taking. You know, might open up opportunities for guys that I like that are dropping. So. Uh, it'll be an interesting uh, dynamic for sure. You know, Phil doesn't, he, he by no means had the perfect draft. I think he, like the way he, he manages his team and draft the team, like he was the best, but it's not like he doesn't make any mistakes. Like he, he didn't, he didn't do a per, he didn't get an A plus drafter. Like he still missed on some players. Like he didn't, like he said, he didn't have Vlad, he didn't have Otani at all. So it's not like he's optimizing everything. So there's still, he's, he's human. It's sort of like yeah. Rocky Four. Like he is human. You can still hurt. You can still, you can still hit him, and you can still, you can still hurt him. But it's it's going to be tough. But I think, but I, think I, do, I do think pitching is going to get moved up even more so in, in in next year's draft. And just looking at the early draft boards, like the DC that we did, I kind of can see a path to go hitter hitter pitcher pitcher because I kind of like, I know you don't have the ADP in front of you. You haven't seen these drafts, but I could, I kind of see like the round three, four pitchers being not much different than the round one, two pitchers, aside from like the elite, elite guys. Like there's maybe three guys that I think are just like a notch above everyone. But after you get past that point, I think like if you're looking at like Wheeler versus Robbie Ray, like, or like Giolito and Nola are going to fall a lot. Like, I don't know. I'll have to see, like, obviously things have to unfold, but I, I could see a way um, that maybe, maybe pocket aces is, is, is going to be not the optimal thing next year. Yes. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think it's going to be more uh, sought after, to be honest, because I, I just think pitching this year was so vital. Um, and there were, you know, there were so many blowups and, and pitchers that if you waited on just destroyed you. Um, whereas a lot of those early guys taken were just insanely good um, at the top. Uh, so I think kind of when, when you, when you uh, combine those factors and, uh, and you're going to see guys like Phil and Toby and everybody else taking these, these aces at the top, I think that kind of, uh, you know, the rest of the crowd will kind of follow suit there. Um, and, and I think overall, in general, I think NFPC, you know, as, as high as pitching it is, it just gets higher and more um, sought after every year. So I don't, I don't see that really reversing course, to be honest. Right on. All right, last question on these mains. Your second main, but we won't get, we won't talk about your third one because you drafted Bellinger. That's enough. We don't need to get into that again. Uh, <laughs> but your second one, I think you. I don't know. If, like I saw your first week. I think you had Kalenic and Wit on your bench. And a lot of people, a lot of people say, like a lot of the podcasts you hear to them talking, like you can't take more than one stash on your bench. You won the league. <laughs> well, it's funny. I. Uh... I uh, I had a uh, wit. I held on to him literally. I think until like middle of September, <laughs> maybe the first first week of September, because it just got to the point where you know what I could not. If I dropped this guy and they, I just could not stomach if they called him up and he just smashed for like three weeks and stole eight bags, hit oh, homer, you know something. And then uh, I just at, at one point, you know, it was like I don't know middle of September. I'm like, okay, I think it's time. And uh, so, yeah, that was the longest stash in, in the history of my career uh, playing fantasy. Um, literally about five and a half months of zero production. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, you, you could win a league. Uh, it's not ideal. Uh, there were times where it definitely handcuffed me for sure. So um, I'm, <laughs> it's not wise to stash more than one guy on these benches. Uh, so with a seven-man benches, you, you don't want to have more than one stash at any time, really. Uh, so, yeah, I had two essentially. For all, you know, not all season. But. Hashtag humble. Oh, yeah, you like that? Yeah. No, but did you so you, did you hold did you hold Kalenic too the whole year? Well, I guess he was up for a lot of the year, but he he was shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was even more frustrating, right? Because he played and he sucked, and then you're like, okay, you keep waiting for him to kind of turn the corner, which didn't really happen, and then he got hot for a couple of weeks, and then he sucked again, and. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what he ended up with. I think he hit under 200 or, yeah. you know, close yeah. to it. Yeah. He was awful. He's a guy that's going to be a, uh, a tough, a tough guy to, get, to judge going into next year. And like, likewise with um, these rookies. Um, I'll tell you, Wit, in our DC, I think I thought people were going to be more um, timid about drafting these rookies because of Kalenic. But you see, you've seen the flip side with like Robert and Soto and Acuna. Um, but um, Bobby Witt Jr. went in the fourth round of our DC. Wow. Fourth round? The fourth round, yeah. Crazy. Well, I mean. So to a player that you would, not... This player you would know, you would know this guy who took him. Hmm. That could be a number of players now. <laughs> I just, I just uh, typed it in our chat. I don't, want, I don't want to say the name. I don't want to have to edit it out, but I'm not going to start putting people on blast. But yeah, he was taken in the fourth uh, round. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So that, 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 that was a, that was um that was an interesting pick to me because I thought people would, like there's going to be Wit, there's going to be other rookies that are going to be just as hyped as um, as Wit and I guess Clinic were this year. But I held Clinic in a lot of leagues too, and I I was actually able to survive and win some leagues with Clinic in in my on my bench or in my lineup for a lot of the, a lot of the a lot of the year. See, that's the guy, though. I mean, that's a perfect kind of guy for me, for like my style. So um, next year, I mean, that's a guy I could see myself targeting, right? Because, you know, most people are going to be down on him and look at that rookie year. And, I mean, this is an elite prospect, has has a power, has speed. You know, it's going to come together at some point. So, I mean, that's a guy I, I don't mind, you know, reaching around even two ahead if he's going at a great price. Um, just because that speed and power uh, profile is so nice. and. Uh, I mean that you know that's kind of I, I try to just you know I tried to take advantage of that market uh, inefficiencies where where I see him. He could be like a 2020 Kyle Tucker. Like yeah, exactly. Oh, easy. Kyle Tucker wasn't easy. Season. Yep. Remember, Mike Trout was terrible when he was first called up too. I mean, he hit. I think he hit under 202 for a long stretch there as well. So, so um, you know, you got to. So was Bregman. Bregman was really bad to start off as, as well. And I think Kyle Tucker was too. Yeah. It, sometimes it takes, you know, a year for these guys to settle in. So uh, I don't mind gambling on, uh, on that, on that profile for sure. Yeah. So um, I don't know if we're going to be, I don't know if we have time to talk with the DCs, but we were to talk about, um, maybe I'll just ask you one question. Um, you know, you, I think you played in two or three of them. Do you have like a certain like hitter pitcher split that you, um, that you use? Or are you are you methodical like that, or are you sort of go with the draft? See, like if you're strong in a certain, if you're strong with, in hitting, then maybe you'll take more pitchers, or do you have a do you have a game plan going in? To be honest, not not for the DCs. I, I don't. This is my first year even dabbling more than like a team in there. Um, it's just a completely different skill set, I think overall. Which I give you guys credit drafting now, fifty rounders. I mean, I don't know how you guys even do that to be honest, but. Uh, yeah, it's just a completely different um, mindset, I think, going into those things. You're kind of just drafting for is that bats and, and health, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you know how we do it? Next around. You have gambling problems. That's what, that's, what, that's what it comes down to because you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're taking guys, you know, around after around 40 that, you know, you have no idea they're even going to be on the roster at all for, for half much. the year, even. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, definitely a skill that I haven't really acquired just yet, but I enjoy them. It kind of gives me, like, kind of prep work for the mains and to get to, you know, the, the player pool. I get to know uh, drafting those those DCs, too, so definitely so, beneficial. Uh, I want to ask you something because I was doing I was doing this um, in the auctional drill because I was competing for that, and I had two teams in there, and you had four teams in the OC. So I would deliver, tell me if you did this because you had three other teams to work with. So I would deliberately by the end, I'd say the last three or four weeks, I would make, I would, I would, I would plan to make sure that my good team was going to pull ahead of my bad team, like in saves and, and, and strikeouts and stuff like that. So I would, I would set my lineups because I think my other team was like in, I don't know, maybe fifth place or something in my league. And like, yeah, like I, I still had a chance to cash in the league, but I, I really wanted to go for the overall. Did you ever, and I, I the answer is probably no, but um, did you ever set your lineups in your other leagues to ensure that you'd gain a couple extra points in your, in your good league? No, no, I don't. 
I don't think that really, I mean, if it, those teams are too far back, I think they have any impact, right? If you're all the way up, you know, top five, top 10, I don't think, yeah, I don't think really, setting, you know, your lineups in your other leagues will have much of an impact on those top teams. It, it was immaterial. It was sort of just like grasping at straws. But it, for me, I was able to gain, I was able to actually man, maneuver and gain a couple, I think, two extra points, which didn't really make it. I think, but yeah, I think there's so many, I mean, it, there's so many teams competing and I think, I mean, it, that would be something maybe if you got a point or something, but then again, even at, at the end of that contest, you know, you're, you know, you might be a couple hundred, two, 300 points behind the guy in front of you, like I was at the end. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely, definitely the worst question of this interview. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> that, that was um, uh, what else is going to ask? We're, we're, we're just about done. We're wrapping up here. So um, let's talk about lessons learned. Anything, anything you learned this year that you're going to apply next year? Anything you're going to do? Any, anything you're going to do differently? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's hard to say what I would do different only because this year was so crazy and you know, in a positive way. I would probably just try to replicate what I did this year more than, more than anything else. But I think just sticking to my process because it's, it's worked, um, you know, and, uh, and just, you know, stick with it and believe in the guys you believe in. And, you know, I try not to get swayed by kind of groupthink and, uh, you know, what other opinions are, whether it's analysts or other fantasy players might like a guy that I don't, you know, I try not to, to listen to that. I, I like I want to own my my wins. I want to own my own losses. I guess so. Uh, that's kind of my my mindset is when I play these things. I don't I don't pay for any sites or anything like that. Everything every decision I make is mine, uh, and that's just something I've always done. So uh, it's, it's it's done well for me, and I think I'll just continue to kind of to go down that path. Cool. All right, we had we had one. Um, I know we went longer than than I than I said we were, but um, we had I had one more like little segment here about like players that you think might have um some value next year. Um, we don't um, you say you, you target like you were talking about Julio Urias and, and Vlad, saying those are those are guys that you just see like immense value in and you were targeting. Um, and this year you saw players fall because of like um, of uh, just because the short season, um, they were. They, they were they were pushed back in drafts because they had bad short seasons this year like you got guys like all this uh, the guys i wrote down here yellick bellinger sunny gray aaron nola Suarez. like is there instead of going through them all one by one is there is there someone that you see that that's going to be um you don't have to say i know you might not want to say the person but like do you see um do you anticipate somebody being a value because of maybe an, an off year this year or maybe just I know you alluded to Kalanick being someone that you might like, but yeah, um, yeah. So I, those guys or someone else off the board, you can go choose your own answer. Yeah, no, no. I thought I like to, to spot guys that have talent that have have proven success in the past, coming off bad years. So a guy like Zach Gallen, for instance, is a guy I'll be targeting next year because you know he's an elite prospect. He's had super productive years already. Um, but he's going to have that recency bias. Uh, you know, he had a down year. I, I owned him in a couple spots. He was tough to, to roster at, at points, but that's a guy that's going to be going too cheap 
uh, in drafts next year and has the skills to, you know, he was going to third round in the main events this year. You know, I'm assuming he'll be seventh, eighth, ninth round pick, but I still think he could be that third round pitcher. So those are the kind of opportunities you want to seek out. Uh, Aaron Nola, you mentioned too, is another guy where, you know, there's going to be a lot of people down to him, but, you know, I'd be looking for that bounce back and, and I'll gladly take a guy like that, you know, around ahead of where he's going next year. And you just got to find those value spots and those, uh, those uh, bargains in the draft. And that's kind of how, how you, uh, how you rise to the top of these things. Right on. What do you think about, um, I'll, I'll throw a guy at you, at you, Will Myers, because Tommy Pham's a free agent. I know Will Myers wasn't getting uh, full-time playing time, but um, he, I think he was hurt. Is he a guy that you see being a, a value um, coming into next year? I mean, if you're telling me he's getting every day at bat, absolutely. Uh, I just don't, I don't know. I don't trust that he will. Um, you know, the batting average is not going to be there. You know, even the speed was down some this year, right? And what do you have, like nine, ten steals, I think, only? But, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's going to be a guy, he's going to be a guy getting 500 ABs, absolutely. I, I would take a guy like that. He, he's got that speed. He's got the power. Um, you know, he could hit you 250. He's not going to help you there. But uh, definitely as a, you know, fourth, fifth outfielder type, absolutely. You know, again, it, it's the main, it's definitely about at bats. If you're getting regular PT, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's going to boost your value quite quite a bit. Okay, let's end it off on this because I just, I've just realized I have this one last question that was actually a good question. Um, so you were on Logan Webb uh, this year. I see from your teams, you were picking him up in FAB, you drafted him, you drafted him in DCs. A lot of other smart players were on Logan Webb this year. Um, he was successful in spring training and he had a pitch, pitch mix, I think um, dating back to last year. So you were on him. I know other people were on him. Um, I got on him a little bit late after he started to blow up in spring training. But like, is there something you look for? Is there someone next year that you're like, um, in terms of, is there, is there a way that you look for um, stuff like a change in pitch mix? And is there someone that you have in mind for next year that um, could take a similar path to just coming out of nowhere like Logan Webb? Oh, that's, a, that's a good one too. Yeah. With Webb, I just, like the, the strikeout upside and the park um, to me for, for pitchers too. I like the K upside is definitely uh, one of the big, big factors I look for. Like, I, you know, ratios are great and all, uh, but you saw a guy like Hendricks this year, right? He fell back in the ratios and the disaster. Uh, um, if if like you get that. a high K. I don't yeah, like, I don't like the, well, Hendricks, the Granke and the Strowmans. I'm not, I never draft those guys. Yeah. Yeah, because you're dependent on ratios and wins, essentially. And, you know, wins are, are hit or miss a lot of times. And then uh, if they have a down-year in ratio department, they're giving you pretty much nothing. So um, at least the, the high upside K guys will give you that that, that base of strikeouts. Um, then, yeah, the team, the, the park factor was a big uh, a plus for, for Webb. And like you mentioned, the pitch mix. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see this year coming, but it just seemed like a good bet for where he was going in drafts and, and sure enough that that paid that paid off right so you, i guess you'll get into your prep um in the next couple of months uh trying to identify someone like that but you don't have anyone in mind at the moment no nah, not off the top of my head that uh yeah uh, not, not he, had a, he had a 7.62k per nine but i'm just looking at hey, his, what was that logan webb 2020 7.62 k9 so he wasn't striking a lot of people out 
but I guess in the minor leagues, he, he did have the upside. Yeah, no, yeah, in the, yeah, in the minors, yeah, um, yeah. I think he was. I want to say he was ten per nine. I think I, maybe even higher. So I know he had the, he had the the pedigree, the strikeout pedigree there. So yeah, it's a small um, small sample size in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty. 2020. Yeah, and then, and then it, I try not to put too much stock in last year, even though uh, I had a good year there last year too. But uh, I wasn't a. Uh, I was really not even facing too much analysis off of that sixty games. I mean, you know, it's what the third of the season, a little, mm-hmm. a little less. So, yeah. Okay, right on. Well, Gilt, Andrew, appreciate you coming on. It was great to talk to you. Great to see you. Okay, great to meet you. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, you too. I, I appreciate it. And uh, I know we got off to a little bit of a rocky start early on. But listen, you know, uh, it's been nice talking to you, man. And uh, I know you had a big year in baseball too. So uh, congrats on, on your season. And uh, we'll talk. we'll talk again. All right, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, you'll talk again, and uh, we'll see. We'll see you in the see in the draft rooms. Yeah, and you'll you'll find me on Twitter, and I'm sure everybody loves that too. So I love it. Man. See, uh, um, don't get me wrong. I know you say we got rocky start, but I love the trash talk. I, I could I could I could dish it out, and I can take it too. So I I like it. I like your personality. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm an acquired taste, so you know I'll just put that warning out for people. But uh, yeah, I appreciate so it. So am I. You know, we we might we might get along better than you think. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right. Good talking to you, man. All right. I'll catch you later. All right. Bye. Yeah.